The other day, I was watching the news trying to relax, and there was a story that came on about using confetti, yes, confetti, to de-stress. And I have to admit, it was pretty appealing. By the way, it's called The Confetti Project if you want to look up what the story was actually about. But guess what is the top thing that we stress about and why we apparently need all this confetti? Well, given that you are listening to this podcast, you guys know the answer. It is money. According to the American Psychological Association, money continues to be the top source of stress for Americans. And that's where financial wellness strategies comes in. Financial Wellness Strategies provides educational resources for companies' employees so that they can find the balance between financial wealth and mental health. Financial literacy is absolutely important, but we also need to go beyond academics and learn how all of this actually fits into our real lives and what we want to accomplish with our hard-earned money. Learn more about how you and your company can invest in peace of mind at financialwellnessstrategies.com. That's financialwellnessstrategies.com. Welcome to the Wellness for Financial Grownups podcast. I am your host, certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, author of Launching Financial Grownups and the founder of Financial Wellness Strategies. Now, my friends, I had planned to talk to this week's guest, Melissa Jean-Baptiste, about the tricky dynamics of friends, family, and money. And we do get to that. But first, we go on a little tangent in our interview about student loans, which have been in the news so much. And Melissa confessed some things I'd like to think I would not have done. But honestly, at age 17, I'm not sure any of us would have done any better. And even as we get older, it is pretty easy to fall into the traps set so well by companies that loan us money. This week's quote, by the way, is kind of a preview to another theme that we're going to get to. It is from motivational speaker, John Rome. He famously said, quote, you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. You are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Process that and think about how that applies to your life and who you're spending your time with. And you're going to see very soon why that is top of mind. Let's get to our guest. Melissa Jean-Baptiste is the brains behind Millennial in Debt. Her new book is called So, This is Why I Am Broke, Money Lessons on Financial Literacy, Passive Income, and Generational Wealth. Melissa is smart and charming and truly generous in how candid she gets so she can teach others from all she has overcome. Here is Melissa Jean-Baptiste. Melissa Jean-Baptiste, you are a financial grown-up. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Oh, I'm a grown-up. I feel so excited. Thank you for having me. I know. You're not the first person that said that, but I will tell you, everyone that comes on this podcast, you are not allowed to come if you are not a financial grown-up, and you very much are. And congratulations on your new book, So This Is Why I Am Broke. I'm looking around to hold this up. Okay, for those of you just listening, we are both (laughs) holding up our pretty copies of this book. Yes. Cool. Like this is such a cool cover. I just love Thank it. Thank you. I'm not going to tell people what it was. They have to go and Google yes. it so they can see it for themselves. But it is so. This is why I am broke. Money lessons on financial literacy, passive income, and generational wealth. We're going to talk a lot, especially about the idea of generational wealth and what holds a lot of people back from that. 
But before we do so, I want to give people some context because you have a very unique and yet not that unique background. You were the child of immigrants from a Caribbean background, but born and raised in New York. It sounds like you had a very nice upbringing in many ways. Supportive parents, really valuing education, supportive, really pushing you and your siblings to achieve. Yes, absolutely. And yet. <laughs> and yet. And yet. You found yourself in, in some financial trouble. So yeah. at a very early age, um, really in your student years and the years right afterwards, tell us a little bit about, briefly about your upbringing and then sort of where things derailed from this lovely upbringing. And so we're giving a shout out to your very supportive parents that it is well-intentioned and well-meaning and, and really successful parents because you did get into a, a great school with scholarship money and all the things. Yeah. So I always talk about it. And I always big up my parents. They did a wonderful job raising us, you know, with the best that they could. I'm first generation. They came from Haiti. They didn't really have all the answers that I would need or the tools and resources that I would need in order to be financially fit is what I call it as an adult, right? There were a lot of things that, there were a lot of gaps that had to be filled. And so when I graduated from college in 2010, I graduated with two degrees. I got a job. I was like, I am doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I am the epitome of an adult. I'm making my parents proud. And then three years later, I tried to buy my first house. No savings account, by the way. I don't know what I was thinking. That's when I find out that my debt was actually ballooning. Although I was paying off monthly, paying off the minimum, the balance had increased from the 50000 I initially borrowed and was now hovering around 80000 And so the real estate agent really kind of slapped me back into reality like, oh, you have a really high debt to income ratio. We're not going to be able to get you approved for very much money. And from New York, $100,000 is not going to get you <laughs> much of anything. You might get a Barbie house. And so that really was eye-opening that not only did I not know a lot of things, my parents didn't know a lot of things. And I was kind of taking on that responsibility of learning and teaching them and teaching my brother. So it really kind of was an all hands on deck to kind of learn how to navigate money the right appropriate way. Well, you've given us a great opening to one of the first lessons, which is don't assume the people around you know what they're doing. And it's always okay to ask questions yeah. and even to figure things out on your own. For example, you are not the first person, whether it's student loan debt or credit card debt that has paid the number that is often the biggest number that they show you on the bill. And then you dutifully set up the automatic payments but little did you know what happened was, and what this real estate agent did you a big favor of showing you was that you had paid three years. You had been paying off what you thought you owed. You assumed it was paying the principal. In fact, you had unknowingly signed yourself up for, or someone else signed you up for an interest only payment plan. And maybe, well, you tell me, I mean, did they just say, here are your choices of payments and you picked the lowest one? I mean, what happened there? That is exactly what happens. So typically they'll give you that six month grace period where you graduate in May or June and you don't have to make your first payment until around the holidays. And so they sent me that first letter in June. I was like, bah, who cares? Like I have, this is summertime. I'm having fun. And so when that October, November time period came and they send that letter again, like, oh, you have to choose, you know, which payment you're going to be making, or we're going to take the standard payment, which was about $1,100. As a teacher, I'm like, I'm not giving anyone $1,100. I'm not going to be able to drive or eat or do anything besides pay this bill. And so I chose the lowest payment, but I didn't know that that lowest payment was only going to tackle the interest. And then besides that, I didn't know that there was going to be more interest added 
included than the payment itself. So if I was paying 210, they were adding 350 a month. And so I was never actually attacking the principal and I was barely even covering the interest. And I just don't know at 21 what anyone could have told me to choose a different option because that low payment just seems so alluring. You have so much other money you could do things with. But I didn't realize what I was really signing up for was an eternity of debt, an eternity of loans, you know, to kind of derail all my other hopes and goals and aspirations. And to back it up even further, at 17, when you were entering college, what you also didn't know is when does that interest start accruing? (laughs) Yes. I went to a really great high school, which is another thing. Like You can go to all the best schools and all the best places, and these things, these conversations just aren't coming up. And so when I was signing up for this loan, I had no idea what the difference was between subsidized and unsubsidized. I didn't know that I could make payments while I was in school. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's it's on deferment. I don't have to worry about that. But had I known that I had so many unsubsidized loans, which are the type that gain interest the minute you sign that promissory note that you're going to pay this money, they start tacking on that interest. I would have, I don't know if I would have done different, but I would have at least known. I would have been cognizant that, oh, this $7,000 by the time you graduate, it's going to be around $9,000. So I'm like, I wish these are things I wish I had known. And I'm so happy to share with people now so they can make better decisions. Right? Well, and you know, it's so this is going to come out very soon after the president has announced that they are resuming student loan payments. Yeah. The, now, the pause in the student loan payments that's been going on for the last few years, that was sort of what I would say a real pause. In other right. words, if you had those loans, it really was like they stopped time. That was not the case for you when the interest was accruing. The other thing I want you to talk about is that the interest rate can change on you. And very few people know about this. Oh my goodness. Yes. So I, (laughs) that was probably one of the worst and most shocking things to see was I'm like, oh, when I signed this loan at 17, when I signed this loan at 18. At 17. Let's just pause there. 17. And at 17, was anybody talking to you? Did you have a high school counselor? Anyone, your parents, anyone in there with you? I had a high school counselor, but they weren't Mm -hmm. there with me when I had to sign up for classes or when I had to sign this loan. They were just like, oh yeah, go to the best school. You get a scholarship. You'll do this. But no one sat down and talked to me. No one sat down and looked at the loan terms. No, no. Okay. And definitely no one talks about affordability, right? They're like, oh, you know, this is what you're going to do. If you're going into this major, Mm -hmm. this is what you typically can expect to make. And this is how long it will take you to pay off your loans, right? These conversations would be so crucial at 17. But at 17, I was like, I'm just going to sign this. I need the money. I need to sign up for classes. I don't want to be closed out of any classes. And then 10 years later, I'm looking at almost $100,000 in loans. I'm just like, oh, wow, this is... (laughs) And you're a teacher. Yeah, this is not what I signed up for. I, I signed up to teach kids how to read, you know, like this is just the thought pattern was really different. And it would have been really important to understand that if I'm signing a loan today with a variable interest rate, that in three years and five years, when I graduate, it's not going to be that 7%. It's going to be closer to 16%, which is going to be tacking on a lot more interest. And I'm paying this interest only payment. So I just really had a lot of odds stacked against me. And that was just due to my things that I didn't know, my, my own ignorance. And so well, read the terms. <laughs> read the terms, right. This is, so therefore, you started teaching reading instead of reading yeah. sort of age appropriate. I can see you coming yeah. into class. And maybe instead of reading whatever the assigned reading normally is, you're having your, your students read student loan documents yes. and understanding because that, I mean, honestly, like all kidding aside, maybe that's the reading we should be teaching people is don't forget to read the big print and the little print of every single thing that you sign. And we've all been there. I'm a homeowner. I can tell you, I have not read every single document related to the home that I own. I read a lot. 
I read a lot, but definitely, I mean, there, the, the piles and paperwork that people throw at you sometimes can be overwhelming. And it's often in a pressured environment because you, you don't really have choice. You don't necessarily have negotiating power as a 17 year old. You just need the money. And you talk about in the book that you didn't want to disappoint your parents by not graduating on time. So when it came time to need more money, you just did what you needed to do. You, you got the money yeah. through the loans and you weren't really shopping around necessarily. Not that you could have, but you weren't going to shop around. Your goal was to make your parents proud. Right. And that goes to societal pressure. One thing you talk about is the societal pressure to go to the what, what's perceived as, and I'm going to yes. be very emphasizing, perceived as the best college. We have in this country some phenomenal public colleges that I think, and community colleges that are very much underappreciated. Talk about your decision and what you would do differently there. Yes. So especially in New York, we have some phenomenal CUNYs, which are city schools, phenomenal SUNY state schools. And at that time, at 17 years old, I was coming from a private school, a very like elite view, like a, a view of an elite school. And it was kind of frowned upon or people looked at you a little weird if you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to the state school or I'm going to go to this city school. And it's not as prestigious as a private four-year school. I ended up, and I say this all the time, and there's no like downside. I ended up teaching with some of the most amazing teachers in all of these schools who went to city schools, who went to state schools. We got the same education. We got the same degree and we're working for the same salary, but they don't have student loans or they have far less student loans than I have. And that really was super eye-opening because I'm, you know, kind of complaining in the teacher's lounge like, oh man, I have this like 30,000, 40,000 left, 50,000 left. And we're in the same teacher's lounge teaching the same mm -hmm. thing. So there's no shame in going to a city school, a state school, a two-year school, because you're getting that education that you need to be in the career that you want. And I wish I had known or been more understanding about that at 17. I mean, I don't know who really is, but that is definitely a conversation I'd go back to have with myself. Like, oh, you can go to the really amazing city school that has an amazing teacher program in your neighborhood and you don't have to go to this four-year school to prove anything to anybody. That's my advice for 17-year-old Melissa. <laughs> 100%. And for all the 17-year-olds out there and people of all ages that are, frankly, influenced by the people around you. That may be relatives that you want to please. We not I shouldn't say all of us, but a lot of us do want to make our parents proud of us. And also, maybe not competitive in a bad way, competitive in a good way with our siblings and our peer group. And you talk about the importance of who you surround yourself with in terms of your friends and your peer group and the influence that can have, not just on what you spent on college, but on what you spend in life. That's social pressure, especially cultural social pressure. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So we've all heard the quote where you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I think it's really important to find your advisory board. You're going to want to be in a group or in a room of people that even if they're not like-minded, you have similar goals or similar ideas that you want down the line. And so it was really important for me to surround myself with people that wanted to build generational wealth, that wanted to grow their wealth. And even if they're not doing it the same way that I am, or they're not talking about it in the same way that I am, I wanted to make sure that I had good people in my corner or rooting for me to support the goals that I was doing and, and attacking without feeling like, oh man, I can't go to brunch today. Or, oh man, I'm not buying like the latest BMW. I'm not keeping up with the people that I'm hanging around with, right? Because it's like that social pressure is so real, especially when you're in your 20s and you see all your friends doing these things. You're like, oh, I kind of, I want to do that too. And I made a joke in my 20s. I'm like, how is everyone affording to go to Thailand? Like I can't even like go get my nails done. 
there's also cultural pressure among your peer group. It's a lot of competition or it can be a lot of competition. So you have to pick your friends wisely. And you also have to know when a friendship has kind of run its course or is no longer the same, right? Because we we tend to have friends from college. We tend to have friends from work or friends from high school. And sometimes you grow and evolve, especially when it comes to money or careers and what you want to do with your money and how you want to grow your money. Sometimes you can't keep that same group. You, that social pressure is going to keep you or prevent you from achieving the goals that you want to achieve or the the job that you want to go and get or seek out. So I say that it's important to have these conversations, but also know when to walk away and kind of adjust that group that you have. Millennial and that actually was born out of a conversation with a friend communicating about how I felt about money and how I felt ashamed and embarrassed that I couldn't go to her group birthday that year for her. It was a really big birthday to her. And I'm like, I really can't afford to do this for you right now. I would love to celebrate you. I would love to, you know, take you out somewhere, but right now it's just not in my budget. And having that conversation was uncomfortable because I felt like I was letting them down. I felt like I wasn't being a good friend. I was ashamed that I was in that financial situation where I couldn't afford going to a birthday dinner with one of my closest friends. And we sat down and she was just like, you know, I barely can afford this birthday celebration for myself. And I just wanted to kind of do something to celebrate myself. But she's just like, now that I'm thinking about it and navigating it, I can do something crucial, like super important to celebrate myself and it doesn't have to be this big elaborate thing. And I took her story with money and I started having other conversations that I were uncomfortable with my friends and family. And that created my first web series where I took all of their stories and kind of added a little bit of humor and education to it. But it really made it it made my relationship stronger with these people because I was able to be vulnerable and tell them, you know, this is my financial landscape right now. These are the things I can't do. These are things I can do. Um, And it just made it a lot more comfortable. And it took a lot of that shame and pressure out of the mix. So I love that you say that a lot of times it is a misunderstanding. People just really don't know because we're not talking about it. Exactly. And and it was a sigh of relief for her because she could kind of let her guard down and be like, yeah, let's just not. (laughs) And then you can be so candid. It's like I once said to somebody, you know, do we really need to order that big shared appetizer? And she's like, no. And let's, I'm like, let's just skip it and move on. And and sometimes it's better to just say it in a casual way and let them know that you don't need to be impressed because sometimes it's their insecurity that they're impressing you and we can all be good just going for a walk in the park together or whatever it may be. Melissa Jean-Baptiste, you are wonderful. Tell us where we can find out more about you. I know your book is everywhere. Yes, book is everywhere. Uh, so this is why I'm broke.com if you'd like to take a look. But I am on all social platforms. I'm all over the internet. Millennial in Debt, millennialindebt.com. Send me an email, DM. I'm always around, ready to chat. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. We all want to live our best financial grown-up lives. One way to do that is to know that the people that we care about are also in a good place when it comes to their money. That might mean our kids, our grandkids, and yes, even our friends. But how? I mean, it's kind of awkward. You see them struggling, pretending to know more than they do, or just making bad money decisions, but you don't know what to say. And even if you say something supportive, then what? That's why I wrote Launching Financial Grownups. In Launching Financial Grownups, I share the tools and strategies so you know what to say to take the pressure off and give those you love the confidence they need. It's all about giving those we care about the right amount of help at the right time so they can not only learn what they need to know about being financial grownups, but also be confident that they can do it and that you will be there to cheer them on. 
Pick up a copy of my book, Launching Financial Grownups. I promise you'll be so happy that you did. So are you thinking of some friends that you maybe are going to move away from? The truth is we only have so much time and so much brain space, space in our brain. I and myself have made some tough choices to spend less time with some people and that's okay. Doing that also makes room to bring new people into your life that can be additive. Lifelong friends are very special. You know who they are and you know who to hold on to. Don't get me wrong, but not all friends have to be in your life at the same level all the time. Choose wisely. This week's extra credit assignment is to read a book I'm reading myself. It is by Ed Horowitz and Dr. Brad Klontz. It is called Money Mammoth. Harness the power of financial psychology to evolve your money mindset, avoid extinction, and crush your financial goals. Great title, right? It basically shows how evolution influenced our perspectives and actions when it comes to money. It is having a huge impact on how I think about money, and I think you will really enjoy it and get a lot from it. Let me know your thoughts on all we shared on this week's podcast by DMing me on Instagram at bobbyrebel one and please follow me and tag me so I can follow you back. If you want more financial grown-up tips, get on my free newsletter. Super easy. We'll leave a link in the show notes, which are on my personal website, bobbyrebel.com. But you can also just go to bobbyrebel.substack.com. Super easy. Look forward to seeing you there as well. Make sure to pick up a copy of Melissa's book, So This Is Why I Am Broke. And big thanks to her for helping us all be financial grownups and invest in peace of mind. Wellness for Financial Grownups is a production of BRK Media. Editing and production by Steve Stewart. Guest coordination, social media support, and show notes by Ali Bourbon. Artwork by Chelsea Perez. You can find the podcast show notes, which include links to resources mentioned on the show, as well as show transcripts by going to my website, bobbyrebell.com. To get even more out of this podcast, make sure you are also on our newsletter list to get more free content to live your best financial grown-up lives. There is a link in the show notes, but you can also sign up by going to bobbyrebell.com or financialwellnessstrategies.com and be a friend. Share the podcast with your friends and anyone you think might like it by taking a screenshot and sharing it on social media. Make sure to tag me on Instagram at bobbyrebell1. While you're there, follow me. If you DM me that you listen to the podcast, I will follow you back. You can also leave a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Reading each one means the world to me. And please support our merch shop, grownupgear.com, by picking up fun gifts for your grown-up friends and treating yourself as well. Finally, my grown-up friends, don't forget to invest in peace of mind. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>